What is up, my friends? Welcome to a brand new installment of the Chris Williams podcast here, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, the first thing you can do uh, to help us continue to grow this thing, and I promise it's going to be more regular now uh, that college football season is over with, uh, is please uh, tell your friends about it. If you like the content, share it, rate it, subscribe, and review to everything that we're doing here. Uh, I am so excited today about today's interview. This was one of my favorite things that I've ever gotten to do in my career, and I mean that, and I'm going to tell you about it in a second. But first of all, I want to thank my friends and the presenting sponsors of the Chris Williams Podcast, and that is the Mechdyne Corporation. Great people who are located, uh, well, the, the headquarters are located in Marshalltown, uh, but they are a worldwide company. I, I've met these guys through Iowa State stuff, and they are phenomenal people. One, one of the reasons why I wanted to start this Chris Williams podcast is because I'm so blessed at 36 years old to have met, worked with, and spent so much time with brilliant people over the years. And I want to bring those people to you guys, my audience. Now, I know a lot of you listen to me for Cyclone stuff, college football stuff. Uh, but there's there's more to me, uh, and there's more. And I don't, I'm not going to shove. Uh, I don't want this to be like a polarizing podcast, but I want it to be a thinker's podcast, and I want to introduce you guys to a lot of the people out there who have made me me. And um, one of those guys, Lewis Kishkunis, is coming up here on the pod today. Uh, but another one is Chris Clover from Mechdyne and the Mechdyne Corporation. Uh, continues to be a mentor to me. Uh, I love him like family. A phenomenal human being and one of the best businessmen and smartest people I've ever met. If you want to work for a company like that, you should go to mechdyne.com and go to their careers page. I could not endorse it more. I tell people this all the time and I mean it. If I ever get kicked out of media or if I'm ever retiring, the first call I'm going to make is to Chris Clover to see if I could fit in at Mechdyne because uh, what they do um, is just, it's, it's amazing going up there and touring it. They call themselves a, a collection of technology companies that remove obstacles to insight and understanding. You need to go to mechdyne.com to learn more and uh, thank them for sponsoring the Chris Williams podcast here, wherever you guys get your podcasts. All right, today's guest, um, this was a lot of fun for me. Uh, we, it, some, we tackled some really serious topics. Um, someday I want to have Louis Kishkunis back to, to do more fun stuff, but this is one of the most interesting human beings I've met in 36 years. Uh, we'll talk about how, uh, we met, but Louis, um, I was a journalism guy who, uh, also took a bunch of poli sci classes at Iowa state is where I met Louis was one of the most brilliant people. Uh, I've ever come across still is he was an uh, Air Force ROTC guy at the time and Lewis has served our country in in so many great ways he's been in Afghanistan uh, Air Force guy um, he has um, been been stationed in Alaska which he's going to tell us about today um, he has led um, and, and raised great um, American soldiers. And, I mean, you, you talk about a guy who's seen it all and done it all. He, you know, the two dis- he's had two deployments in Afghanistan, and um, he's been part of strategies and base defense missions. And, like, I mean, the stuff that, like, we all watch movies about and read about, Lewis has lived it, uh, Western Iowa guy. Uh, we grew up not that far from each other, became friends in college, 
And um, one of the things I've always appreciated about Lewis is he's very, uh, very grounded, um, conservative guy, uh, always has been. He was very influential on campus at Iowa State when we were at college together with the college Republican Party. Lewis um, was a leader of it, I, I believe, for a while. We'll talk to him about that. And he's always been a. I was just thought of Lewis, and I didn't judge him for it, good or bad. Like he was just a big Republican. That's just who he was, and we talked about it a lot. And um, you guys kind of know where I lean based on on this. And I'm a. I, I fancy myself as a pretty down the middle guy. I lean left with social stuff. I probably lean right when it comes to more international stuff. Um, fiscally, I'm kind of all over the place and it, admittedly, depending on what the topic is. Uh, but what, what I want to do here on these podcasts is to learn and to bring these guests on and hopefully have really engaging conversations. And Lewis Kishkunis is again, um, he's brilliant. If you, if, if you know anyone who knows him, they will all say the same thing. And I wanted to lean on him today as he lives in Washington, DC to talk about the recent violence at our capital next week's presidential inauguration. And Lewis has been very outspoken um, as a veteran against President Trump for, for years now. And again, Lewis is a veteran and brings a whole different angle to all this than I can comprehend. So that's why I wanted to bring him on. I hope you guys get something out of it. It's a snowy weekend here in Iowa. Um, and I, I think it's a good engaging conversation. So with that, what started, uh, courtesy of my friends at the MacDine Corporation, uh, here's a brand new CW pod with uh, my old friend. And uh, it was good to get reunited with him, Louis Kishkunis um, in Washington, D.C. Well, I'm bringing on my buddy, uh, Louis, here, who joins me tonight from Washington, D.C., correct? Yeah, just across the river in Alexandria, but it's all part of the greater D.C. area, so. Well, welcome. You said this is your first podcast? First podcast I've been on. Long, long-time listener, first-time caller kind of thing, you know, <laughs> uh, especially with multiple podcasts, so it's, it's fun for me. So we, uh, I want to talk a little bit about your past, but I want to tell our listeners how we met. So I, um, I, I delved into politics when I was in, at Iowa State, and we had a bunch of classes together. And then we we did a um, the old cable TV show together. That's right, Saquon Sports Live. <laughs> what was your beat? What was your like expertise on Saquon Sports Live? I don't even remember. It's been a long time. I don't, I don't think a lot of us had a lot of expertise, except Bloom was the smartest man in the room. <laughs> like, don't tell him that. You're gonna get his head big, man. Oh my god, he is ama- like he's amazing though with stats. Like oh, that yeah. was truly amazing. Yeah. Uh, every week he'd blow my mind, but I think it was just a bunch of us sitting sitting around a table talking sports and and finding a good excuse to do that, which was great. I always thought you were the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> well, thanks. I uh, the one piece of insight, like there was one time I actually felt smarter than that show compared to compared to some of you guys, and it was I had a buddy in ROTC that was at West Virginia, and it was like the year they went to the Orange Bowl. I think it was like '05, and no one's given him a shot. And I'm like, guys, I got a friend. He says it's gonna be legit, and they end up like 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 winning big, and I, I felt incredibly oh, yeah. smart. You I nailed it. Yeah, we, had, we had an interesting group though, like because McIntyre went on to become a meteorologist. Yeah, you know, um, there's a lot of guys who went on from that and are and doing some pretty cool things. So some year we got to do a reunion. Absolutely, like when I can travel again, and uh, I see some of you guys like you'll you'll go to like likes games things like that. I'm like I'm 
I'm a little bit jealous. I'm like, oh man, I wish I could get in on some of that stuff. Oh, someday when you get back here. Um, okay, so I want to run it down. Before, uh, give a little bit of your background. I've done a little bit of this in the intro, um, but I, I'd like it in in your words. Um, just to kind of build up, because I, I really do, Lewis. I mean this. You're, uh, we haven't. It's not like we keep in touch daily, but you're a guy I've always, I've always, I'm like a guy who wants to be an intellect, but I'm really not. If that makes sense, like I, I like to read. I'm a pretty deep thinker, but it doesn't always get out there because that's I do sports, right? But your guy, I always looked up to in that sense, um, even dating back to college, and I've really enjoyed your. Uh, just commentaries on Facebook over the last even like t- ten years. Like you'll you'll post a link and then you'll give like a quick like two hundred word take on it, and it's always I always feel like I learned something, and and I appreciate that about you. How would you um, just what do you do on a daily basis? Describe yourself to to the thousands of listeners that are going to take this in who may not know who you are. Yeah, so uh, obviously the intro is great. Um, uh, yeah, so I've always been interested in politics. Um, I grew up with it, right? So, um, you know, a little bit of a, of a sad upbringing, but I ended up with my grandparents. And my grandfather was on the Mills County, so that's Glenwood, Iowa. Hawkeye uh, Central for Yeah, for, for, the, for the Republican Party there. And honestly, like, we'd meet in, like, the basement of the bank or, like, the little oasis restaurant in the square. And it's been maybe 10 minutes on business, right? Like, what are we going to do for the, you know, county parade this year or whatever? And then it would be just political talk for an hour and a half or whatever. And I learned a lot. And obviously it's pretty red areas. Still the same thing back then. And, you know, I kind of grew up in sort of Republican politics and meeting politicians from the local level all the way on up to Congress and Senate. And then when I went to Iowa State, obviously I wanted to really get involved. So college Republicans were right there for me. Um, I ended up leading the college Republicans at Iowa State for, for a year and then being the, the number two in the statewide organization my senior year. And then uh, all the while, like I always wanted to serve and 9-11 happened my senior year, which just made that, you know, more. Mm-hmm. Um, so ROTC was always always a deal for me. And then uh, I, w- I was kind of lucky because, you know, politics has always been sort of a nasty business. And by the time I was graduating college, I was I was ready to could kind of do something else a little bit and serve in it, serve obviously in a different way. And the military is the best, in my opinion, one of the best ways you can serve. Uh, so especially doing like a ROTC thing for all the, for all the Iowa state fans out here, Iowa state has great ROTC programs and, and commissioning as an officer and then, and then getting in and, and, and doing that thing. And because when you do that and you put on the uniform, you obviously can't be partisan. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, so it was easy for me to sort of leave that political life behind and just become a little bit more maybe a Facebook commenter or, or, or reading interesting articles mm-hmm. and uh, and sort of not actively sort of participate in like trying to, to like get off the boat drives or go on meetings or anything like that. Um, so yeah, so did did the uh, did the military thing for seven years. Um, was initially stationed up at, up in Alaska after some training. Um, stationed in Vegas for a little while for a school, and then uh, then went to South Carolina. I did two deployments to Afghanistan out of South Carolina. And, you know, you, you just get to see a lot of things when you get to, when you get to serve in that way. Like even like being up in Alaska is a totally different part of the United States. Yeah. Um, going, you know, from there I had a TDY to Japan and then again, obviously like Afghanistan a couple of times and going through all the different countries you got to go through. Like you just kind of, again, you just get different perspectives on the world. Even South Carolina, like you said, is a, 
it's like a different country sometimes. Oh yeah, and then like you know Charleston in and of itself. Yeah, I mean the Civil War started there, right? So and it's this weird mix of sort of a modern southern town thing like Atlanta, and it's you know it's kind of blue in some ways, but then it's also you know you're down in the mm-hmm. deep south. Um, so you just and again military, everyone's mixed together, so you meet all kinds of different people. I remember when I was going through survival school because um, I was stupid enough to volunteer for survival school. Don't ever do that. That um, sounds terrifying. <laughs> It's not fun, <laughs> but we were, we were in the evasion portion, right? So like, you know, you're, you're, you're mocked like downed aircraft and you're evading through the woods and they got people chasing you. And the first couple of days you evade in a group and I had this young airman and he was, he was having a rough time. It's, you know, we were up in the woods of uh, Washington state and it's, it's like April. So there's still snow on the ground, but it's still kind of warm too. So it was, you know, a little bit mm-hmm. of a rough environment and he's just like, ready to quit and i go like come on you gotta keep going you gotta keep going and he's like i've never been in the woods before and i'm like really <laughs> like never and he's like yeah i grew up in la you know and it's uh, totally foreign <laughs> to him yeah yeah and it was like all this was just it wasn't just that it was tough it was that it was so different yeah like, you know having having to do all that stuff so he got through it we got through it it was fine but you just i never in my life would have thought that was the thing that was going on until i asked him right and it's like you just just different things kind of come up and surprise you. So, you know, to get back to sort of the posts and everything else, like sometimes I'll just read an article that resonates with me or it'll make me think of some, some of those moments. And, you know, I'll, I'll try to post the article and then I'll put my own little take on it because, you know, I, I kind of want to let people know what I think about it. And I'm, I'm always happy to start a discussion. Like that's, that's part of the political, the political thing to me that never died from going back to those, you know, central committee meetings in, in Mills County. Um, you know, it was just, we had some politics. good ones in our politics classes in college. Oh man. It was great. Cause I was, it was a uh, super underrated when it comes to a poli sci program, because you know, the, the students as as college campuses go, it's, it's pretty conservative. It's, it's not usually, it's not what you usually see. It's not, it's definitely not Berkeley. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you said that. Cause I've told people that like, they're like, Oh, you took politics classes. And I'm like, no, it's not what you're, you're thinking. Yeah. Cause it's, I mean, it's a lot of rural kids. It's, you know, I'm glad that you think that that because you're a, I know that you're a longtime conservative and I I'm I'm very moderate. I'm you know, I, I always I'm socially I'm left. I'm, I lean right on a lot of the like foreign policy type stuff. But like I'm glad that like our brains can match up on that because I never because I'm from Page County, Iowa, western side of the state, which is probably yeah. more conservative than even Mills County, believe it or not. And I never once thought like, oh, they're trying to brainwash me. No, uh, I mean, certainly there were a couple of lefty professors there, but like they like, you know, there were some great professors at Iowa State too. And even if they didn't agree with you politically, like they wanted to engage. Yeah, I remember Dirk Deem's probably the most famous guy in the Iowa State uh, Political Science Department, and that 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 was one of my favorite professors. And he lived on the Socratic method, asking questions, and he would challenge you no matter what. He'd come at you from the other side if you were a lefty student, and. Uh, and if you said something provocative that he didn't agree with, he would still, he would still be like, Hey, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. I, yeah, I never felt, in fact, like my college experience was great. My, my college experiences probably drive a lot of the, my perspective on, on some of those posts and, and how I think about politics. Cause you know, there was a lot of stuff The Bush reelect happened when we were there in 04 and obviously things were pretty, pretty divisive back. Not like it is now, but it was, it was divisive enough. And I remember like Michael Moore came to campus 
Yeah. And he had done that tour and there were all these college Republican groups that were trying to get him kicked off. Like, why are we spending, you know, college money to, you know, government money to bring Michael Moore to campus to say all these things, blah, 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 blah. That was the position of a lot of conservative groups. I, my position wasn't that. My position was bring it on, but let's bring on some conservative speakers as well. And Iowa State, to their credit, the, it was the committee on lectures. They were like, yeah, you're totally right. And they ended up bringing in uh, different conservative speakers. And it was a total, totally a great example of free speech and putting different perspectives out there in a respectful way. That, that election was a life-changing thing for me, too. I, I specifically remember just being on a college campus of that size with all of these different uh, candidates and, you know, speakers, they don't even have to be famous that came through. I mean, I, I was going to like two lectures a week. I, I oh, yeah. It, living in Friley Hall there because it was right during the caucus would have been my freshman year. Oh, three was when, you know, the primaries and all that stuff was going on. And um, I'll never forget. I was at a I, I wasn't backing Howard Dean. Uh, I went to his rally, though. I went to all the different rallies that were on campus that day. And Joan Jett was in the College of Design singing at a Howard Dean rally. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I remember Joan Jett. She went around with a couple candidates. She was down at Drake one time. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was kind of – that was a that was, big... that was the same night that Howard Dean did the, the – The scream, right? Yeah, I'm going to New Hampshire. Yeah, it was the same night. Uh, what a time. Um Okay, so um, as we move forward to just kind of, I just want to pick your brain on a lot of things. Absolutely. More for, about your background. So you you grow up uh, in a conservative house. Um, again, you, you're a leader in the Republican Party at the student level and, and beyond. Did your career in the military push you more conservative, or uh, how, how would you? Because it. And maybe you can explain this to me, too, because it feels to me like I have I, I come from a military family, um, very conservative. Um, all of my uncles and, you know, relatives who served are very conservative. Did that how did that impact you as far as your leanings goes? It's a little bit of that chicken, the egg thing. I think the military does tend to I, I think people of all stripes serve in the military. I have like. Well, my first commander, my best commander I'm ever serving with, uh, this guy named Tim West, he's out now. Um, he he is a dedicated lefty. I think he didn't go to Berkeley, but uh, I think he was like at USC and, and, and a pretty hard lefty at, at USC, in, USC in California. And like we used to kind of go out a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. politically and still do on social media sometimes. But he's but I'm always his example of like the reformed conservative, like, you know, <laughs> with, with all the Trump stuff. And stuff and yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Um, but. So even though that, so I think there's a diversity of thought in the military, but it does tend to attract a little bit of a, of, of like, I think some conservative folks do like that idea of serving in the military. Um, I don't, I don't know if it changed me all that much in terms of like domestic politics. I think I always had like, I think you always got to start from certain principles that you believe mm-hmm. and then you have to go from there. And I think that's why this moment is so tough for a lot of folks because they see things that maybe don't conform with their principles with their own side. And then certainly with the other side. And, and some of those are pretty core principles. I mean, obviously with the storming of the Capitol uh, and things like that, like that's really core to what America is all about, no matter whether you're left or right. But that's always been my thought. You gotta start with some, some core, cons- for me, core cons- more conservative principles, but for others, it might be something different. And then you have to say, okay, if I'm presented with this situation or a certain policy, 
how would I react to that? What's the conservative solution to climate change? What's the conservative solution to healthcare and all these problems that that confront our country? And then I think you kind of go from there. And the military didn't really affect that too much at all because I think those principles don't really change. I think what the military did give me is a healthy appreciation for the complexities in foreign policy, that com- the complexities in, in military policy, and you know, like what all that money is going towards. Like the the DoD, besides entitlement spending, is is a huge part of the federal pie. Like a lot of your tax dollars go to paying for a lot of a lot of people, a lot of training, a lot of really cool stuff. Um, and but knowing like there's reasons why that is, and there's reasons why that could be reformed, and and it's and and what you gain a gain an appreciation of is sort of how the government works, um, where all that money goes towards, and, and just how complex some of these things are. Then you also get you also gain an appreciation for how simple some of these things are too. Like it, like there's you're you're in the woods with an airman trying to get some training done, and you got to figure out like what's making them tick. Right, so uh, that's that's more up above and beyond sort of conservative, not conservative, and just kind of, kind of dealing with people. And I think that's an important moment to remember too. Is like, and been something the military is great at is you come from a different place, mm-hmm. you come from a different accent, you look different, whatever. You're all wearing the same uniform. There's the same there's the same American flag on your shoulder, especially when you deploy. Like those are your brothers and sisters, right? And you got to get over whatever you trust them. Is, yeah that might be there because you never know what like when stuff's going to go down that's going to be that's going to be your your person right there so yeah not not to say that i was doing anything super hardcore when i was deployed but or super super crazy when i was in the military but like that's that's the that's the core truth of the, of, of the service so so uh, i, I want to get to uh where like you think trumpism started in the the maga thing and how that all began but i, I want to I, I think that we should probably start with the the siege on the capitol uh, because it's so timely and then it, it also lewis a lot of people will be listening to this over the weekend the weekend before the inauguration which you being in washington dc is just a a lot of iowans will listen to this i mean it, it's you know i'm watching it on tv here in my office last wednesday but it it still seemed like um like my wife keeps saying it, it seemed like a movie like yeah and i actually um you know you watch like there's a couple of those movies like the jamie fox one and the gerard butler one right and like and you watch it and like how hard it was to get into the to the white house for those guys and it's just like the one thing lewis that i couldn't that that i still just like i can't fathom is just how easy it seemed for those um you know terrorists to get into the capital yeah it's crazy uh i was i was happy that i lived across the river um you know obviously i like you know the white called work that day we we're talking hey everything's fine you know um it was you're you're just in shock watching it mm-hmm. um a lot of work got done that day right um and you're right i mean they're the problem with with the storming of the capital is that and I think what makes it so hard to wrap someone's mind around is that it's not just one thing, right? It's not just, oh man, it was easy that they broke in and, or, oh my God, it's such a huge, huge group of people. Oh my God, look at what some of these people were carrying. What were they planning? And, oh, maybe a couple of the Congress people were, you know, giving them assistance in some way, in some form or fashion. Like, there's a lot of that that I think is going to come out over the next few months. Um, and I don't know if we're going to like all the answers that come out from that. 
but it's not but again I, it's hard because it's there's so many different things that are going on but specifically for like how easy it was for them to get in i mean i was here in the summer too with the when all the uh, black lives uh, matter protests were going on mm-hmm. and the security situation was completely different and the big lesson learned for me on that that you know that i that i knew inherently but really got to see again was leadership matters right so when that stuff came to town the federal government mobilized like from the top down and we saw you know trump and the attorney general bill Barr at the time bust those protesters in the park across from the uh from the white house to go do the photo op with the bible and everything else like mm-hmm. they were ready because they knew they were going to do some stuff with it and for this thing for whatever reason there wasn't that drive right and when that drive doesn't happen things don't happen things don't get mobilized it takes time and so you didn't see the same security presence like there's the, the famous picture of the, the the folks lined up on the capitol steps in military uniforms right just ready to to like stop anyone from getting in there and that wasn't that wasn't the case this time at the capitol and they knew the event was going on and they and they knew that there was the, a big potential for that kind of violence and there wasn't the drive from the top down to to get what was to get the resources needed to defend the place um and i think that was why you saw that it was so easy to get in there which is unfortunate right because you can anyone can see that problem coming are you um i I guess at all obviously you're concerned but what how do you think the response is next week with the inauguration because this seems to me uh, based off of what I've read, like you're not just defending one spot now. You're talking about 50 different Capitol buildings. Yeah, so that's going to be the big problem, right? Is DC is going to be relative, like not, nothing's ever easy when it comes to this stuff, but from a relative sense, the DC area is motivated. And the National Mall, where most of the stuff goes down, is actually a fairly small area. If you ever come to DC, you know, it's like there, you can actually walk from the White House to the Capitol to the to the washington monument and you know the jefferson monument like it's all it's it's a long walk but it's it's all walkable it's a pretty small area that whole kind of federal where most of the federal agencies are are gathered up um but the the state capital thing that stuff happened last week too it was a little bit less covered but like there are a couple of governor's mansions that where the fences got overrun there's a couple of state houses that get overrun um that's going to be tough because there's going to be uh, fewer fewer resources, obviously, compared to the capital, uh, the U.S. capital. So, you know, governors and stuff are going to have to mobilize and be prepared with their own guard units and things like that to to make sure that they keep everything under control. And they're going to have to, you know, work together in our federal system, right? Like the FBI is looking out for a lot of these people that invaded the capital. Mm-hmm. They're probably getting new information for stuff that's going to happen for the inauguration. That's not D.C. based. Um, and then in D.C. Like I said, I think that energy is there now. Um, but what I honestly, what I really worry about is with all the rhetoric that's out there, with the lie that has been repeated over and over that you know Joe Biden didn't really win the election. He won the election, folks. Um, that you know how many how many people are being radicalized right now? How many radicals out there are being radicalized to a, to a higher level to do something more? And the problem with events like this is it just takes one thing to get through, right? It just, and we, and we've seen it over the last, we've seen it over a long time. We've seen it going all the way back to the Oklahoma city bombings, but, um, but you know, every, especially in the Trump era, like we see attackers get through and a lot of them have been on the right. And a lot of them have been from the same set of people. I'm not, and I'm not saying that it doesn't happen on the left. Like you had the Congressman, the congressional baseball game that got shot up a few no years doubt. ago too. Yeah. But 
to not recognize the difference in intensity on on the various political sides, I think is a mistake and, and where and where the threat's actually coming from. So that's gonna be that's it's a tough job because it's a no fail kind of thing. And it's and like you said, it's a no fail kind of thing across fifty states. Um, and it's 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 going to be a tough job. But the the nice thing is, if, if I do kind of hold my hand on one thing, is people are mobilized now. Like I don't think there's going to be the problem that we had last week, where mm-hmm. you know there wasn't the drive to sort of nip this thing in the bud or to to make sure that the the proper resources are there. I think the proper resources are going to be there, which is a good thing. So um, Trumpism, let's. <laughs> This is a, a we could do like a five hour podcast here. Yeah, like this whole series, right? <laughs> uh, for what it's worth, I'm a big John Kasich guy. That's my guy. I always. Oh yeah, me too. I no. love I love John Kasich. If I could vote for anybody to be the president of the United States, that that's who it would be. Um, where he didn't he didn't start all this, right? Like it had been brimming for a while. Um, is you know I I think that social media has a lot to do with things. I think a distrust of the news media uh, for a lot of different reasons. I don't think that my industry is innocent in, in any means. Um, from your standpoint, a longtime conservative, where where did where did this start? How did he get elected? So if I go all the way back to those Mills County Republican meetings, right? Again, I gave you sort of the, you know, we sit down and talk politics, spend 10 minutes on business. Every election, every two to four years, the, you know, you get people that got motivated and they come out and they join in. And with a couple of those folks, we've come a couple of the, the fringe type folks, right? So they're, they're going for like the, the, cra- the crazier candidate that's going to get, you know, one or two percent in the primary or caucus or w- w- whatever election that you're running. Pat Buchanan. Pat, yeah, Pat Buchanan, guys. Alan Keyes was a yeah. good example. Alan Keyes, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, sorry, apologies to my key supporters out there. It was a, a little off there. Um, but, but they would fade away. Right. And, and, but slowly over time, they didn't fade away as much. And I even saw that going through high school and then into college and around, around the Bush reelect, there was a change in political tactics, especially on the right. And I remember like the first election I actually have like worked on, like read, like knock on doors, walk in parades, that kind of thing was when I was a kid. It was the the 96 election with Bob Dole and, and Bill Clinton. And the big thing then was trying to figure out, like, how could we take the middle from Clinton? Like, Clinton was so good at getting the middle, the moderates, all that kind of stuff. Like, he had his base in the Democratic Party. He grabbed a bunch of moderates. And then, you know, he ended up beating Bob Dole by, by quite a bit. Like, that wasn't a close election. And... So the Republicans struggled with this question for a long time because that had been the game, and they were, and the Republicans were really good at it before Clinton. If you go all the way back to Reagan, you know, there's the phrase Reagan Democrats. He yeah, flipped a bunch yeah. of Democrats, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was enough in, all, in a lot of places that he won like a 49 state landslide in like '84, I want to say. Um, so you go from this mindset of I got to get the middle, I got I got to I got to bring the bulk of the country with me. And then I, I went a landslide in electoral college. I went, a, I went a landslide in the popular vote and everything's good to uh, Carl Rove came up with this. Like, you know, if we motivate our base a lot, um, the moderate, the right leaning moderates will come to us and we can win this thing. And we don't think that, you know, from the Republicans perspective, like they, they didn't think at the time that the, that the left could motivate enough of their base to, 
to defeat that. And they were right. That was a theory. So, but what do you got to do? You got to motivate your base to come out. You got to motivate your, your most diehard supporters to come out. And it was around this time that we were kind of making this shift in politics. I remember hearing the phrase, like, if we only elected a true, true conservative, then whatever your definition of that might be, usually meant right winger. Um, we could still capture the middle because they'll, they'll, they'll see like, that's the true way and blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's, it's always been a pipe dream. I see it a little bit on the left now. Like there's a lot of the you mm-hmm. know, squad folks or whatever. And they say, you know, there's a little bit of a, there was a fight after the most recent congressional part of the, the general election where, you know, some of the more moderates in Congress were blaming some of the rhetoric from. Oh yeah. Is right. So they're, they're having that fight. And, and some of that is if you just ran on progressive, like as a true progressive while well, well, you just win and you know that's not the case right no um so so that's what happened uh in the, on the republican side you know maybe 15 or 20 years ago the problem is you get diminishing returns you got to keep motivating that base you got to keep scaring them i don't know how many flyers i got back in the day that said this was the most important election in american history and it wasn't you know um we hear that all the time yeah exactly and it's it's a it's a motivation tactic they got to have to bring out their people because they know that the other side is going to bring out their folks and it's become a it's become a motivation fight and that i think has brought the republican party especially on a, on a road of radicalization and i think you saw it saw a lot of the tea party kind of protests and, you, and, you, and you've seen it accelerate like you said social media distrusting media uh and regular media trumpism it's all accelerated everything like the rate that society is changing in, in itself is really fast and and it's like pouring gasoline on a fire and i think trump was kind of the end result of that process the, even then like trump doesn't control this thing it, it's it's become it's become a feedback loop in and of itself and i think that's part of what you saw at the capitol too like trump has come out a couple times with positions that are more or so i would say more supporting candidates that are more of the traditional republican candidates like the like the the election in Alabama a couple years ago was a good example. Uh, was it Roy Moore who had yeah seemed to be gotten a lot of trouble for a lot of good reason, and I think the Trump base was more in line with that candidate, and Trump was pretty much forced by the party to support the other guy in in the primary, and he ended up losing. And Roy Moore is a general election candidate, and then you had your first senator from uh, from Alabama in a long time because of that. And so the base didn't follow Trump in that, in, in that instance. They wanted to go with the more radical candidate because that's where that base is right now because they've been motivated. So, um, so I think, like I said, I think Trump is the, the end result. Hopefully the end result hopefully doesn't get that much worse uh, of, that, of that process. But I also think that like he doesn't fully control it. I think there's a lot of people out there on the right right now that are trying to catch the tiger by the, by the, by the tail. And it has a way of biting you, and I, I think we're seeing a lot of that too. So I was, I was kind of terrified that when, when Trump got elected, I'm like, oh no, what is the left gonna throw at us? Yeah, because I, I, I really thought that it. I, I was surprised that Joe Biden uh, won the primary. To be honest with you, because I, I, I don't know. Like, um, I'm glad I was wrong, because I think that. I think Joe Biden and I mean, he's as moderate. Am I wrong here? You know more about this than me, but he's as moderate of a candidate as we had out there. Right. No, absolutely. I think uh, the guy from Montana Bullock would have been the only one that I think you could have nominated that would have been more moderate. And, and honestly, I, I, you know, funny the, that that's what I was, I was not, I, I'd say worry about a little bit too, is that the, 
the politics would keep separating. Yeah, right? exactly. And the but I got to give it to the Democratic primary voters, especially the folks in South Carolina. They voted strategically. They they said the number one thing, like I don't care about whatever policy, Medicare for all, whatever, you know, all the all the announcements they had during their twenty seven hundred debates. Um, I want to. I'm going to put up a person that I think other people will vote for. I think that's the question they had in their head, and I think other people will vote for Joe Biden where they might not vote for, you know, an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders or whoever. Um, I do think Sanders is kind of interesting as a candidate. This is a pure political type person. I think he's interesting as a candidate because uh, I think he kind of scrambles the math a little bit. But, but yeah, it's like them, the, the Democratic primary electorate look at that and said, no, I I need someone that someone in the suburbs of Atlanta, someone in the suburbs of Philadelphia is going to vote for, and that <laughs> that kind old man face is definitely going to do it for me, and and someone that doesn't scare people a lot with their policies that's going to be the guy that that does it for me because i think he can win all those other people from over so you're a longtime um republican at, at what point did you kind of look at donald trump was it either the candidate or the or president donald trump and were you like whoa 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 like at, at what point did you kind of take a step back and call it call a spade a spade I thought it was kind of crazy almost immediately because, you know, he's, you know, he'd run all these businesses and not all of them are great. Like you look at Atlantic city right now and, and a, a there's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah. Right. And you know, he's a reality TV guy. He calls into Stern a lot, you know, it's, you know, he calls into any, the most famous thing politically before that for him was either the reform party thing back in 2000, which was a, you know, blink of an eye or or the birtherism thing with obama and like again that's just another example of sort of the road to radicalization and and conspiracy theory right motivate that base imply that the the guy that's running against you is an american i'm sorry like that's that's not good principled politics that i couldn't get along with couldn't go along with birtherism so when he announced his candidacy i was like this this is gonna be trouble right away and the republican party Again, that the vestiges of like trying to go towards the middle, right, they would usually come back home to that kind of candidate. Romney's a great example of this. Mm-hmm. And if you had these candidates that would have to kind of run to the right a little bit, and then they would go back to the then they would try to go back to the center. And but the Republicans would always kind of flirt with crazy, right? It's like remember Michelle Bachman? Oh yeah, how can right? I forget Sarah Palin? Uh, yeah, Sarah Palin, perfect example of this. Um, still kind of out there. Rick Santorum, I think one. I think he ended up being the winner of the. Uh, he won uh, Iowa one year, didn't he? Caucus. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's and, what I thought. Yeah, yeah. And those are those are pretty hard right folks that are a little crazy. And so when sixteen happened, I thought, okay, we're we're gonna flirt with this crazy, but we're gonna we're gonna come back home, and we're gonna do something sensible. And if we're lucky, it'll be a Rubio before Rubio kind of got exposed, or a Kasich, or something like that. And the Republican Party never came home, and some or Jeb. Jeb was the other one because he had all the money. Um, but Republican Party never came home, and it was just another sign that, like, the base of the party had completely gone. Like for the people that had fought for certain conservative principles for years and years and years, you realize like the people you thought were you know in that position with you weren't really. They weren't really in it for that. They were kind of just getting radicalized, and that's. That's something a lot. I think a lot of us have to have to look at. Okay, so are they radicalized, or all are like? 
I don't know. I've I watched too much House of Cards. Yeah. <laughs> but like so as an outsider, as a political outsider, just a guy who watches the the TV and and reads a lot. Like it they seem all and this is both parties. Like it just seems like everybody's just trying to keep their job. So like when I watched like Marco Rubio, like Marco Rubio used to come on my radio show. Um, yeah, Whitford was his, um, campaign manager here in Iowa. So I always like anytime Marco was in, like, he'd, he'd go on WHO and then he'd stop by and we'd talk like Florida football and it was great. And I really liked him. And I'm like, this is, this guy would be a good precedent. But but then like, it, it seems to me like everything he stood for, he just threw out the window. And is that, is that to appease like the Trump base or does he actually believe that stuff now? So I think, so there's a couple of questions there. One, gotta, gotta get inside. So you mentioned House of Cards, right? And bring conspiracies and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Let me, let me dissuade you as a guy that was in the military for seven years and has been around government since, since I graduated from college. Uh, we ain't that smart. I mean, we don't <laughs> run the deep, right? That's why all the conspiracy okay. theory stuff is really crazy. That's good to so, know. Yeah. It's, it's like, again, that's why the conspiracy theory stuff is just crazy. Like it all comes out at the end, at the end of the day, like, it all it like well because everybody a, has their own motivations to like leak things right like yeah people leak all the time and even yeah. even in the military like guys leak sometimes because they want stories out there um so just like the trump white house is a great example of this too like everyone leaks in the trump white house they, they ain't keeping any secrets is that the leakiest white house ever probably because i think because i think it's um i think it's highly factionalized and they're all trying to undercut one another that's my opinion based yeah. on reading the stories out here. But uh, it seems like that, like, uh, especially at the beginning, like you had like the Kushner faction and then you had, you know, the, the other guys and then they were all trying to like stab each other in the back. And and then it, and it also, too, I mean, part of it and we're going to get into this, but it's just a 24 hour news cycle, too. Like that. Oh, totally. like, that wasn't a thing when Bill Clinton was the president. No, like, you know, you had CNN and things like that, but like just like I said, the social media aspect of that too, like having to put stories out there constantly. And that's another thing too, is like their ratings got juiced um, with Trump and it, the craziness that is every single day, the exhausting level of craziness, it still drives eyeballs, right? Like still like that drama kind of thing. So, you know, something big happening, you're gonna turn on CNN, or if, if you want, you're gonna turn on Fox News, or if you're a lefty, you might turn on MSNBC, like, but you're gonna watch. And that's that's a, that's a tough thing to, to like not program for if you're running the media and those, but to get back to the those, thing, those breaking news chirons too are just non-stop non-stop and some of them are nonsense but like yeah. is that really the news in two weeks but um but going back to the rubio thing like i think they're i think you have to separate out like where the base is like where the actual voters are in the republican party the people that they're, they're trying to motivate and you have to and and the politicians and so i'm, I'm going to say this at the beginning I don't, I used to think I had a good handle on like where the Republican party was and where the country was and things like that. But as last week showed me, like, I don't, I thought those two Republicans were going to win down in Georgia. I thought Leffler and Purdue were going to win. I thought it'd be close, but they'd win because I thought in my heart of hearts, those voters down in Georgia, the Republican base doesn't believe the election was really rigged. They think that they're going to go vote. Their vote's going to get counted and they're not going to want, you know, uh, a democratic Senate. And they got a lot of votes out. And I think that's probably true for the vast majority of, of Republican voters down in Georgia. But there's enough of them that's, that probably stayed home 
where it might have made a little bit of a difference. And that I did not expect to see. So in terms of where the voters are at, I think I think the base right now, the Republican Party, I think there's a big chunk of it. Um, like and you see that you see it in polling and I, you know, take polling for what it's worth. But I think there's enough polling out there in the aggregate that suggests that a big portion of the Republican Party is fairly radicalized. Like they support the undermining of democracy. Uh, as we saw last week, they they believe a, a, an, an easily provably false lie. Right. Like they 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 believe these things. And I, there's no other word to say but it's radical, then radicalization. You see at these Trump rallies, a bunch of people in QAnon shirts and, you know, anti-vaxxer kind of stuff. And, yeah, I don't know how many times that, you know, people from Glenwood, Iowa, I'm still friends with, tried to share a pandemic with me, right? Like all that craziness, that is out there. I think you have a certain section of the Republican Party that are, you know, on Twitter, they would call them the anti-anti-Trumpers. It's a lot easier to ignore Trump and just sort of like focus on, uh, you know, media mess ups and, you know, the crazy squad stuff on the mm-hmm. other side. It's just easy to, it's easier to kind of stay in the tribe and to say, Hey, look at all those other guys that are acting crazy and, and, uh, and totally ignore, you know, the burning house, um, you know, in the background of, of your own, of your own chosen tribe. And then I think, you know, for, for all the, I would consider myself kind of a never Trumper and for all the, all the guff that, you know, that sort of faction took a lot of it was like political consultants and things like that. And they said, oh, these never Trumpers aren't really big. They're not really making an effect. I think where you really see never Trumpers are in that flight from the suburbs that have driven the last two or three election cycles. I think that's the difference that's making up making up a lot of like Democratic seats right now and a lot of Democratic gains on the electoral college level. I don't know if those folks are going to stay with the Demo- with the Democrats, especially if there's either something new that comes out on the conservative side or the Republican Party suddenly finds religion and reforms itself and becomes more of a center-right party again. It's be a long road either way, but I I don't know how many of those people were, were voting wholeheartedly or voting because they didn't really like who the president was and the craziness that is that our country has kind of become. Yeah, uh, that that's a really that's a really good answer. So with the you, you used the word um, tribe a couple times there and one thing I've done over the last four years is really kind of studied tribalism, and there's some really good stuff out there. I heard uh, – I'll have to tweet it out for uh, my followers, but there was a really good podcast that uh, my friend Chris sent me on tribalism, and everybody should listen to it. Um, man, and you see it like I – I started studying it with, like, political parties, but, like, you see it, like, every day on Twitter with the Cyclone and Hawkeye fans. It's like – you know, like the exact same thing could happen with your guy and you're taunting the other team. Like it, it is such a tribalism is such a real thing. So my question for you, Lewis, um, do we have any hope? Because the, we're the, you know, society's becoming more interconnected every day. Um, we all are lost in our devices. Um, the, every, everybody has a, megaphone now but nobody ever really wants to listen um we're all in our um you know you you mentioned it like if you're a lefty you like to go on msnbc if you if you're a righty you like to go on fox news like nobody's talking that's my problem that's why i I wanted to have you on here because it's just nobody's talking and they're all yelling we got to tone it down absolutely and that's one of the reasons yeah that's one of the reasons why i do those facebook posts right so like 
you've probably seen it. Like I post an article, it's probably anti-Trump in some way. I put my own little take on it. I try to be fair. And then usually like I have mega friends in my, in my timeline and I keep them there. Right. Cause I want to hear what they're saying mm-hmm. and they and they, and they know all engage. And then we try to have a respectful discussion about 50% of the time it works out. 50% of the time it gets, it might devolve into some silliness, which you know happens social media. Um, it's probably a pretty good hit rate for social media. <laughs> no, but, I always click. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's, um, but it, but I think it's important to have those discussions and my lefty friends will come on that, that my former commander that that's kind of lucky. He he's a frequent contributor. Um, and there's a, an actual real discussion that happens there more, more often than not. And like, it's, it's harder and harder to do though. And I think if you would have talked to me five years ago before the Trump era, I would say that's 90% of the solution right there. Um, but I think there is a point where you have to, you have to bring people back into, Hey, the constitution, the elections that we run, we all have to operate in that box, right? We can't choose to be outside the, outside of that box, outside of the box that made this country so great for the last 200 years. Um, and that's where we're getting, that's the real scary part, right? Yeah. That it's people, terrifying that like, so there's, there's, there's tribalism to a certain extent. And then there's, there's the stuff that's sort of out of bounds. And I w- I hope what this last week and hopefully nothing worse will happen. But I, I, I hope that it, that it represents an inflection point where people recognize that and they take back the discussion a little bit um, that they seek to engage and respect and, you know, respectfully that they, I've seen a lot of like, if you believe this unfriend me, I hope that that gets a little less. I know it's tough. I've, I've struggled with that myself. I've, I've seen a, that a lot. Yeah. I hope that, that this represents an inflection point where maybe that gets a little bit less. And I think you're seeing it on the congressional level a little bit. Like we were talking about, like, are these politicians trying to save their jobs or, or, or whatnot? I think a lot of these Republicans are, are scared of their jobs. I think they're scared of getting primaried. Uh, we haven't talked about gerrymandering and stuff, but that's a big part of this, right? Like a lot of those folks aren't answering to a general election audience. They're, they're answering to the primary electorate. That's what they got to worry. They got to worry about that first election because it's the elections in the back. And I think there's a, there's a certain amount of people that are doing that, but there are also are a certain amount of people that are breaking away. It's not a lot right now, but it's not nothing. And it's some of the leadership. Liz Cheney is a great example of this. Um, Kinzinger is always like Kinzinger is a congressman from Illinois. that has been pretty anti-Trump pretty consistently, but, but Liz Cheney has been sort of, she's been fairly principled the whole time, but you know, she, she didn't exactly chew away Trump either for a long time. And, and she's breaking out. Uh, Mitch McConnell in the Senate, whatever you think of him. I know there's a, a lot of a lot of my lefty friends who are not like Mitch McConnell. I I don't like a lot of the things that he's done institutionally in, in the Senate. But last week he's he's given the green light to a lot of these senators to whenever the impeachment comes down uh, to vote to impeach. And that that sort of freedom um, freedom of thought I think opens up opens up uh, an opportunity for leadership. And I think leadership and having people at all levels talk to one another and to really present their side and to engage is what is ultimately gonna hopefully um, pull, pull, pull us out of this tailspin a little bit and get us back to a, to a better place. On the impeachment, do you, do you think that impeaching him, well, he already has by the house when, when we're recording this, but do you think a full out impeach, would that radicalize even more people? So what's funny is like, so I have two thoughts on this. I think, I think it's, 
So I see the talking points like, hey, we need to be unified. We need to turn the temperature on all that. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I, but those people weren't there in the last two months when they were um, supporting the assertion of the election was stolen, right? Where, yeah. Like, they did. They weren't calling for unity and hey, we hey, we need to shut this talk down because we got to all unify behind this new president. Um, and I am of the position that, like, when Trump got elected. Like, I supported him as the president because I wanted the country to do well. I didn't think that was going to happen, and I was sadly proven right. Um, but I still wanted him to do well because I want the country to do well. And I think we all need to kind of return to that a little bit, too. Does impeachment turn up the heat? Yeah. But I think it also is a measure of accountability. Yeah. It's also the only way that you guarantee he doesn't run again. And, um, you know, it's. It's like what Mitch McConnell doesn't want him to run again. Like Trump just sabotaged Georgia, basically, right? Like yeah. Trump's the reason gonna, why Mitch McConnell doesn't have his power anymore. He's not going to want that guy to run again. Exactly, and that's not going to get better, right? So, and what is so when I talk about the gerrymandering thing, you got all these politicians worry about the first election, don't worry about the second. Mitch McConnell is now looking at the second election. So the first election in twenty twenty four is going to be the Republican primary. And Trump still has a stranglehold. If he if he ran, I saw a recent poll that said like forty percent of the Republican electorate would support him, um, which is a big hit, but it's enough to win. It's about as much as he had in twenty sixteen. But Republican primaries are winner take all, so that was enough to carry him towards the nomination because everyone fought it out in their own lanes, which was a bad strategy. Um, and so McConnell knows that if that happens in twenty twenty four, that it is very likely the general election will be worse than it is now because the you have all you have all you have the entire four years that culminated in an attack on the capitol that was incited by the president and that's a that's a tough general election audience to go against and the democrats will have four years to build up candidates over time have that executive experience if they have a successful administration that's going to be even tougher and you know mcconnell knows that especially in a presidential sometimes these Sometimes that down ballot does have a way of biting you. If Republicans did a real good job on the down ballot this time, and the sneaky story of that is they recruited candidates really well. They recruited less mega candidates, more a more diverse crews, people that spoke to their district pretty well, mm-hmm. and they did well in swing districts because they ran towards a swing district audience. Trump will not run towards a swing district audience in 2024 if he's allowed to run, and that's going to be a problem. So he might win the primary if he's allowed to run, but he's but I would not think that he's going to do well. In, in general. That being said, I didn't think you'd do on twenty sixteen he won, so what do I know? So, um, you know, I I blame the media for a lot of the polarization. I also can come to the defense of the media because media's changed a lot compared to how it used to be monetized. Um at the end of the day it's still a business, right? Like journalism is not getting government funds to stay around and uh, you, you have to have you have bills to pay and you know Rupert Murdoch and Fox figured out a long time ago a really good way to pay bills and it's been enhanced since then and um, and I've watched and this is just on the big cable TV thing like I could get into a whole deal on uh, corporations owning every televi- local television station and newspaper, and but that's a, that's a whole other podcast. Um, I just like here. I I feel like Joe Biden will really tone things down. We've already seen that, just with his language and like he's he he's trying. You can tell to speak to everybody, not just 
his base. Um, but I, I don't think it matters. Like, I, I mean, is Fox News going to tone it down? Uh, just because the president's not yelling and threatening people and going on Twitter and using all caps and, you know, tweeting ridiculous, like, conspiracy theories. Like, I, I'm, I'm just concerned because I, from my world, which is media, like, I, the proof is in the pudding, man. Like, they're making money on this stuff. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, um, I think Fox News is having a reckoning right now. I think I think they're kind of seeing where this is going, and you see, it's funny. Fox News usually is pretty pretty unified. The Republican Party itself is is usually much more disciplined than the Democratic Party, and that's reflected in Fox News. Um, the yeah. messaging is is like really good. It's 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 all in lockstep, and you come up with a party line and you just repeat it. Like um, great example, of this is like Merrick Garland uh, back in 2015 and 2016. Like man once once mcconnell found that precedent everyone had the same line and that was the same line you heard on fox news and everything else um i think it's gotten crazy enough that like the fox news types the the people that actually have to like go on a major news network um they it's hard for them to find that line and they're not finding it with the exception of your usual suspects the tucker carlson's and sean hannity's and the laura ingram's of the world and that's going to be the real issue, right? It's going to be those audiences and those audiences in particular. And the reason how the, and, and how these people, how those three in particular make money is by igniting the same base that showed up the Capitol that believes the lie that is driving that poll supported Trump. And I think you're going to see, you're going to see an, an inner party fight in the, in the Repo- on the Republican side. And I don't know how that's going to come out, uh, whether the party splits, whether people get brought back into the fold, um, I, I, I don't I don't know and I don't know where Fox News ends up in that as well like what makes the most money um, like they've had to deal with Newsmax and a couple of these other real like OANN some of these like really yeah. really far right yeah. um, things because my, again my Gundy's favorite station oh yeah I got in a little trouble right yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the thing though is like if when we talk about this in terms of a radicalization cycle um, you got to keep like you know it's a little like drugs like you gotta hit it harder to kind of keep getting that same that's what i'm worried about and what was the what was the congressman who tweeted out gates i think the florida guy yeah like that if you try and impeach trump we're gonna go after the biden crime family he tweeted that out yesterday oh yeah that that sounds about right but like it's just like okay guys where does it like where does it stop you know like that we've seen like heated debates in the past between politicians, but nothing like we've seen in the last five years. Yeah. And, and again, culminating violence and things like that. And like I said, there, there is a glimmer of hope here. Please tell me. I I try not to be polyannish with this kind of stuff, but um, so the strategy in the election for, for Trump that was fairly successful, even though he didn't have one name was the whole like silent majority law and order, all that kind of stuff. Right. Yes. Yeah. This is what the country's going through in the summer. Yeah, defund the police, throwing that out there at the yeah. left. Yeah, very much so. And everyone, everyone harking back to this Nixonian thing, right? So when Nixon uh, ran 68, 72, he kept talking about the silent majority. Like, So the country is going through similar turmoil in the 60s. We're coming up with MLK Day, right? Great man, whatever. MLK was shot. MLK was assassinated for what he stood for. And that was in 68. And um, uh, John F. Kennedy... Uh, 
uh, John F. Kennedy's brother that was running, can't remember his name, Robert Kennedy, uh, shot the same year. 68 was a real bad year. They had the Democratic Convention in Chicago that, you know, devolved into a riot. You had a bunch of race riots. 68 was a bad year. And so Nixon comes up and he's like, essentially law and order message. And there's a silent majority of Americans out there that just want things to be calm, peaceful, whatever. And there's a lot of, like you, that's just scratching the surface of all the racial overtones, everything with kind of how that went down. But I think there is a, there is something like that today. It's a silent majority that just wants government to be effective and get things done. And I do think that's what Biden is interested in. Biden's interested in getting vaccinations out fast. He's interested in getting us through this pandemic. Um, economically and otherwise he's interested in turning the temperature down and everything else and I think there is a silent majority of Americans out there that sort of agree with that we're all tired yeah we're all exhausted like it's like the breaking news chirons everything like that we're tired of seeing that Um, I think the best phrase I had in one of those Facebook posts I had was like someone said hey make politics boring again (laughs) and honestly that's why I think people I think that's what there's a certain sliver of voters that put Trump over the top in 2016 that weren't there for him in 2020 and I think some of those folks ignored a lot of the warning signs and they said he's a businessman he's not partisan we all know he's a lot more partisan now but like they didn't he didn't seem as partisan to them and he said he's going to cut he's going to cut through the bs and he's going to make deals because that's what he does that's what i saw him doing on tv businessman yeah yeah and he's gonna he's gonna talk to nancy pelosi and he's going to talk to chuck schumer and you know what he's he's got this base with him and he can bring him along, which again, I don't think is actually the case, but I think in 2016, people thought that all those Tea Partiers, they'll listen to him and he'll be able to go to the other side. He'll bridge the gap. And, mm-hmm. you know, remember where, with Obama, there's always going to be that, that grand bargain that never happened. Right. So I think, I think there were some people that thought, you know, in the, in the best case of a Trump presidency, he's the person that cuts through the politics, which I think, there's a whole thing on there where I think we actually need better politicians, not worse politicians, um, because they are the ones that are going to compromise to get things done. That's what but I never I think- understood. Like everybody's like, Oh, he's not a politician. That's why I want him. But I, my response being a sports guy, I'm like, well, yeah, but if, if you're, if your football coach gets fired, like you're not going to be like, Oh, I, I want to get a, a barber. Cause he's not a yeah. football coach. Like, well, well, that's stupid. He doesn't know anything about it. And like, it, that's the one thing about Trump with me, like the policies, whatever, I don't even care what his policies were. It seemed very unorganized the whole time. Totally. And that's where some of that stuff matters. And I think, I think what people thought is the government will take care of itself. There's millions of professionals like me and others that are going to you know, do all the paperwork and do all that kind of stuff. And Trump is going to be there in the room making the deals and the deals will flow and we'll get tax policy worked out and all this immigration stuff that's dividing people, we'll get it worked out and he'll just cut through all that BS. And you know what, it didn't happen because that's not Trump. Um, and, and, and a part of it is that he isn't a politician and he didn't have to go through a filtering process that like a lot of these politicians do. When you, when you talk about like the normal way a politician comes up, there's an opportunity at like a state house level or a city council level. And then there's the next thing kind of opens up and they get ambitious and they want to run for it. There's a bad side of that, right? Like you probably shouldn't be in our system of government. You probably shouldn't be like a professional politician. But the good side of it is you go through this filtering process all the way up. Yeah, that's like, true. You have to learn how to compromise. You have to learn how to get that. If you're a city councilman, you got to learn how to like find the money to get that pothole filled in, right? And when you're a state legislator, you got to like figure out how to get a bill to the floor and work with the other side to get the votes and learn how all the good legislation actually kind of works. 
and you work your way up until the point that by the, hopefully by the time if you're a really good politician you kind of figure that stuff out and you figure out how to get things done um, Trump obviously didn't have a knowledge of that and wasn't interested in that and so I think good politicians politicians are something they can lead and show that they can be effective in terms of a policy uh, area are always going to be better than you know, an outsider that thinks the whole like I alone can fix it and all that kind of stuff. That's that's not the case in our system. It's oh, it's actually antithetical to the American system. I mean, when you talk about the way our system works, just how I described city council, maybe county supervisor, there's a state legislator, then there's this, you know, then there's state government, the rest of the state government, and then you got to work with the federal government. And at all levels, there's different needs and, and ways of operating that's hard to do. There isn't one person that's ever going to fix that. It's going to be all of us together that are going to fix no that. Doubt. And I think hopefully people come to that realization. I don't like, we're going to be in a dangerous time for a while, but like I said, I, I hope that we're at an election point and I hope that we have the right leaders in place now where the temperature gets turned down. Maybe we start some de-radicalization, the social media platforms. I mean, what do we do about that? So there, there are models that work out there, right? So this used to be a huge, it's still a problem, but it's not nearly as much as it was but in terms of like counterterrorism stuff, right? Like people getting online and they're, they're finding the jihad online and all that kind of stuff. A lot of the social media companies found a way to clean that up from their platforms um, and, and, and to kind of figure out like, Hey, like that's obviously bad for business that happen us associated with it. It's not perfect, right? Um, Facebook and the Rohingya um, in Mir in uh, Myanmar. Um, oh Myanmar. yeah, I read about that like, one. Yeah, like that they still have problems with this stuff when it pops up. When it's something they haven't seen before, it's a problem. But once they once they can wrap their arms around a problem like that, uh, they they have been effective. There is a model for fixing that and for and for turning the temperature down online. Um, and, and again, it's, 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 it's like a fire without oxygen. Like it's still going to burn for a while, but hopefully it burns out a little bit. And hopefully all this stuff surrounding that helps, helps that fire to go out a little bit more. As, as a conservative, do you believe that like Twitter and Facebook and these big tech companies, Google, Apple are, um, against conservatives? Like, do you think that they're targeting you guys or are they targeting the radicals? No, I mean, I think that's. I think if it is a problem, it's widely overblown. I, again, I think that gets back to, you know, what are the real problems that we have to face in this country when the capital is getting stormed by a bunch of folks that use those same platforms to organize? Um, I don't really see that being a problem. When you look at like, what are the top 10 shared things on Facebook every single day? Like that's not really a problem. Um, the thing- Conservatives are very active on Facebook. Absolutely. Every statistic, much more, I, I mean, uh, I that's my world, and I, I see these reports and I read the research, and it's it's not even close to a. I mean, the overwhelming majority of people on Facebook are conservative. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think Twitter's a little different, but there's Twitter skews the other way. Yeah, yeah, but I still think there's a strong conservative presence on Twitter, and you can and you can still find it if you want. Uh, I'm less familiar with Instagram and some of the other things that are out there, but uh, I think those are a little bit inherently less political. Um, but yeah, I, I I really don't think that's an issue. I don't think Republican politicians have a problem talking to their constituents. Uh, you know, there are a lot of good memes going around this week about you know what is what is Trump ever going to do without his Twitter account? And it's like it's a picture of the White House podium, right? Like they're gonna 
you know, yeah. news networks and everything else are going to cover them. Like people are going to tweet about them. Like the message is still going to get out there. I definitely don't view that as a problem. And, and honestly, like one of the, one of the keys of Trump victory in 2016 was like, they did a real good job organizing online. They did a real good job with uh, the Facebook ads. And, and honestly, like, I mean, you know, part of the Russian stuff was obviously manipulating social media and they were not coming at it from a liberal perspective. They were supporting Donald Trump. That's been proven time and time again. And they were able to get into those algorithms. Like they were able to set ads in those algorithms. So they, you know, got a lot of bang for their buck for that, for that investment. And, and honestly, like that kind of gets back to this whole thing is like at the end of the day, America reflects its population. And right now we have a big chunk of the population that's fairly radicalized. Why do we have QAnon Congress people? Because there's a big QAnon contingent out there right now. There's a critical mass of them out there in a congressional district that got someone elected. Like, why are there's why is pandemic and some of this craziness shredding on Facebook? Because there's a lot of people on Facebook that spread this stuff, and the algorithm supports whatever mm-hmm. gets shared the most. So, I think if there's any motivation for these companies, it's not silencing conservatives. It's like I've never felt silenced on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. It's it's making money. It's getting engagement because engagement gets clicks, gets ads, gets money. Well, that's kind that's- of the dumb thing about. I mean, if Twitter wanted, um, if they just wanted to be biased against Trump, like Trump probably made them a lot of money over the years. Oh man, the people that came to their platform and they, <laughs> yeah. and you know, they're selling eyeballs and things like that. That's that's true. I mean, there's, I mean, as as bad as it's been, and and as much as a headache probably for that company as it's been, probably late night meetings and things like that, like. The, the growth that they've probably had based on that and 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 the ability for well the stock dropped 10 percent after they did it if that tells you anything exactly and like it sets the conversation right that's the other thing is like how many times have you been on like a cyclone fanatic live cast or you've seen something you know on a news channel that says oh this person just tweeted this let's talk about it right yeah and it it's the nation's assignment editor and it's silly sometimes because it's kind of insular it doesn't always reflect where the country's at but it's the most visible thing. All right. One other thing on the insurrection, and then we'll have a little more fun. And then it's almost midnight your time. I feel bad. I'm keeping you up, but this is. Oh, no worries. My kid's going to cry here pretty soon. I'll go <laughs> down. So. All right. Um, the insurrection deal um, internationally, does it, does it mean anything? Do we have any like long or near term effects like internationally? I think we've covered uh, the domestic stuff, but like what, what does the rest of the world think when they're watching that? I think four years of Trump have hurt us in immeasurable ways when it comes to foreign policy. Um, You know, having served in the military, it pains me to say this a little bit, but like a lot of our power obviously comes from military. It becomes F-22s and, you know, Gerald Ford class carriers and things and and the ability to project hard military power, but we use it too much. And the one of the other really huge ways that America is able to use power is in terms of just our sheer legitimacy, right? The fact that we try, right? Um, the fact that we try to be a better country, even if we don't always reach it, the fact that we are perceived as a good actor out there. Uh, mm-hmm. The entire post-World War II world is set up on the back of America being essentially a trusted country. Like they're gonna be there when, if, if someone tries to close the seaway, we're gonna be there. If someone acts out of line, we're gonna be there. And we're gonna be there with the whole suite of tools that we have and we're gonna and we're gonna be fair about it. The reason why 
you know, like Europe was a battlefield for hundreds of years until World War II came. And it's America guaranteeing security and America being trusted to do that. Um, that stopped that, that stopped Europe from being a killing field and the source of a, of a lot of problems in the world for a long time. But it's all based on legitimacy. It's all based on people believing in us and believing in us as a country. And it's really hard to believe in us as a country when you're sitting there from the outside in, when you see all this stuff happening for the last four years. It's, we're less trusted to be there. We did this once, right? We elected this type of leader once, this type of leader that constantly threatened to pull us out of NATO, uh, that constantly threatened to disengage, that constantly threatened to, with all the America First stuff, like not be there for the world. And when we go into, and then when it comes to the insurrection, when we go into other places and essentially say, hey, this is yeah. what you should aspire to, we're the shining city on the hill, that hill isn't, ain't so shiny right now. When when you have the top of it getting stormed by insurrectionists, when we say, hey, you have to set up a constitutional government and you have to reflect the will of your people, and we have a significant amount of congressmen that voted against, after the insurrection, voted against the will of the people um, in our own system, I don't think that sends a great message to the world. And if I, if I were a country in Europe, if I were an upcomer in Africa or Southeast Asia or wherever, I would be looking other places. And I think there are a lot of places in the world that have problems, but I think there are an equal amount of countries in the world that they want to do the right thing. They want to be on the good side. They want to, they want to respect their people, but they also want to grow and give their people better things. And I think we're an answer for a lot of that stuff for a lot of the world. But if we're not trusted, countries like China are gonna fill that gap. And that's dangerous. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, and you see it a lot in Europe. Europe's like, they're making moves to kind of guarantee their own security and do their own thing. That's also problematic because the best, the thing that defeated the Soviet Union was a united Western Europe and the United States with a containment policy for 50 years. That's ultimately what defeated the Soviet Union. And, and the dynamism of free market economies and people that could be self-determined and elect their own leaders, like that whole thing is what ultimately defeated communism and the Soviet Union. I don't know where the thing with China is gonna go, but I suspect that if China decides to go down a, an increasingly dark path, or an increasingly authoritarian path and wants to bring the world with it, um, it's gonna. It's not just gonna be us standing alone that's gonna do it, especially with a, a reduced reputation. It's gonna be us standing with allies and partners that are gonna be able to, that are gonna ultimately do that. Not to mention the Putins of the world and all the other authoritarian countries out there. If we want the world to be a better place and we want it, and I come at it from like a conservative foreign policy perspective, it's gonna be a united front that's gonna that's gonna bring that about it's not gonna be america alone it's not gonna be america first because that ends up just being america alone it's it's gonna be what the it's gonna be that same model that that has guaranteed the, the peace for our country since 1945 all right let's lighten it up a little bit let's do it um i'm a big uh, ufo guy okay what have, what have you seen <laughs> I've seen nothing. All right, so I'll tell you a story. And then we also got this thing coming up in the next 60 days where the government's got to, like, re release some yeah, information. Apparently. Yeah. I'm excited. So, all right. What do you know? Two things. So I remember, the, like, so I, so I, my junior year, I find I'm getting intel. And then 
you know, the, the next year I, I commission, I go down for training and they're like, all right, here's a class. You go in and you're expecting to see like 24, right? You're expecting to see like all the screens. And, <laughs> yeah, get that done, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And it, it's not, it's a classroom with computers that have like privacy glass because you're working on classified computers, just a computer. So I'm like, all right, well, be that as it may, I'm gonna log in this top secret computer and I'm gonna immediately look up like UFOs, JFK. Yeah, SR-7. All, the, all the good stuff, yeah. All the good the stuff. Denver airport, and, have you ever heard that one? Which, oh, the Denver was... Uh, that there's the New World Order and the Illuminati's oh. underneath the Denver airport. I think I had heard that. Like, why would you build an airport that far away if not for yeah, the Illuminati? It's like, it was like $2 billion over budget. Took like way too long to... Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there. It's like the Independence Day thing. Like, who pays $2,000 <laughs> for Ammer? Okay, so you're logging into your computer. And, um, and you know, there is nothing exciting. And here's why I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. So, coming from an Air Force Intel background, people classify the most boring stuff. <laughs> like, 90% of it. Just super, some of it's super cool. Like, I worked in a 22 squadron. That plane is badass. And a lot of it, and the capabilities are amazing. Um, it'll shoot down anything in the sky you want it to. It's awesome. Um, it's very expensive, and we got what we paid for that being said, so that's the cool stuff. A lot of it has to do with how you how you get the information, right? Yeah. And the fact that a certain thing can do a certain thing, like, might be even common knowledge on the internet. But we got it a certain way as a country, and we're not going to give up the way we got it because that might put someone in danger. It might that avenue of us getting stuff might close off and all that kind of stuff. So all this stuff that we got through these different means is super boring or not terribly exciting to most anyone except for people that might be interested in yeah. you know crop futures and mozambique or whatever like but um i just just a, just an example uh totally made up my head um and <laughs> you had to clarify but, that i get it <laughs> but yeah well like we might have gotten that in a certain way where you don't want you know you don't want to let people know how we got that so it's classified and you're like why is this classified this information is crazy what's well, because how we got it so yeah, I looked up UFOs. I looked up all this. I don't know what to tell you. Come on. So, so what about like the what about the thing that they're they got to give the they have to give the report up on in sixty days? So did I you see that video where the the pilots are like, "What is that?" Like, in, what is it? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think you're going to see a lot of that stuff, and I think like I don't think anyone's going to really know what it is. And the other the other thing about working in as like you know military intel guy or whatever is stuff gets compartmentalized too so like you can be you can have a clearance right you know like i'm the top secret guy blah 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 and you might not get you might not have a need to know anything so you actually don't know anything yeah. you might not have access to anything so i guarantee you the the if there are if there is someone that you look at ufos or what they actually are and ufos just stands for unidentified flying object it could be correct yeah the, well the unidentified secret. like literally yeah. like it could be a it could be a we don't know like, it's from another planet like it it could be Elon Musk's new rocket that's yeah. going to come out this week, and no one knows about it until he announces it. And they're like, "Oh, that makes sense. That 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 video from that F eighteen totally makes sense now." Um, you just you just don't know what it is. Do you ever so, have any uh, Air Force buddies be like, "Man, you should have seen what I saw tonight"? No, not that, that would be that'd be funny, but no, <laughs> I, unfortunately. And I was up in Alaska too. You'd think if there was a place where yeah. they would see. Um, uh, that would be something like that, but no, it was, I just uh, like the, I, I always give the same thing, but you have way farther, like better credentials than most of the people I'm generally talking with this about. Like, we have like 
I mean, and I get it that most of them are doctored. I get it. But there's so much like video and yeah. people like just. I, I understand people are crazy. We just spent an hour and 10 minutes talking about it. But like, yeah. like, is everybody a liar? Is everybody like making this thing up in their mind? Or I could, is it possible that maybe just maybe this is from another galaxy? Again, going back to independence day, Randy Quaid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I took him down, man. He took him yeah. down. You got it. He got his revenge. Um, man. So this is just me talking. This is just my thought on it. My thought is if there was some something out there, ET's out there and he's coming to go visit us because we're super interesting. They really want to see like what the hell's going to happen next week at the inauguration or whatever. Um, I got to believe if you could have that technology, you can solve Newtonian physics and get faster to light and all that kind of stuff that they would have a way to like hide from what anything that we had. That would look oh, like. that's a good point. So, but that's sort of, I mean, that's, I think that's maybe too easy. Maybe it's a little too clever by half, but like, I, I got to believe that that's, that's got to be deal. Or they'd have a, or they have a way to just watch us from like super long range. Right? My co-host Ross like is convinced that they're so technologically advanced and they're going to come here and think that we're just a bunch of idiots and turn right back around. That's his theory. I, I can see that. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know, like if someone is significantly advanced, uh, advanced enough to come here and in, in, in their spaceship or whatever and, and do all that stuff, like what, what would we look like to them? Like probably like a dog, like, yeah. At least. Yeah. Oh, well, not even better yet. We're walking around picking up the dog's shit. Like literally. Exactly. Like, what's that all about? Yeah. yeah like <laughs> that thing was just dragging its, its butt across the floor and they still love it for some reason. I don't know. Like, Let's get out of here. These people are crazy. Okay, uh, will the Cyclones make the college football playoff next year? I want them to real bad. I You're always posting about your your clones. You're keeping in touch. I like that. I am. I mean, so here's here's my take on the clones. Um, I am the most pessimistic fan. I'm also a Browns fan, so this is a really wow. good year. You're having a great year. Awesome year. I don't like, but I'm always like that so that – to give you an idea of my mindset i'm watching that steelers game last week last week that was awesome and you're my are. second favorite team right now because you got baker i'm a vikings fan but i yeah. kind of adopted you guys because i love baker i like baker too i know like man <laughs> he definitely there's no filter there i remember the whole like flag thing and everything else oh it's great so so i have yeah, yeah. that's another reason why I, uh, for, and I was I was actually a little upset when the Browns drafted him because I'm like, ah, oh, not Baker, don't ruin him. You know, <laughs> I love, as a Vikings fan, I can totally appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so I'm watching that game, and I and I mean, I used to get made fun of in middle school because the Browns got taken. How'd you away. become a Browns fan? So my so I was born in Cleveland. And oh, my mom, okay, cool. Yeah. So before everything kind of went bad with my family, at for one point, like my mom was a huge. Um, Browns fan. It actually wasn't my dad. It was my mom. And we, I remember we were watching like Bernie Kosar back in the day. Yeah. Uh, I remember those, Bernie Kosar. Yeah. Those games against the, the Broncos in the, in the late eighties. Those was like my, some of my first memories of, of, of anything much yeah. less football. So I stuck with them and like, you know, we're the only team that could met, mess up hiring Bill Belichick and like <laughs> win 11 games. I love it. It's, it's not, and then the team gets moved and you're just like, what you are have we doing? such a Vikings mentality. It's great. It's so bad. And then the, the hell of it all is they move the team. Then then the Ravens. Our Modell, man. Our Modell. He was vilified, greatly so. I guarantee he was a Trumper. 
Yeah, if he was still alive, he would. <laughs> but actually, probably, yeah, you know, Jimmy Haslam's a current owner. I'm pretty sure, you know. <laughs> Most of those guys are, I can promise you. He's, he's a Tennessee business, they business make, owner. They make under, way too much money. They're not going to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that Pilot J scandal stuff. I'm like, that, that seems silly. <laughs> Uh, but that being said, um, and since they so they came back in '99 and they just they were an expansion team basically. They had all the records of the Browns, but they're an expansion team. And I saw them lose in so many crazy ways. Like, God, that we had that one Courtney Brown, that defensive lineman here, they got a flag stuck in his eye. And hey. it, it, it <laughs> crazy, crazy. I forgot stuff. about that. It's, it's nuts. So they're so they're up twenty eight nothing, and then eventually thirty five seven. I'm like, here it comes, here it comes, here comes the pain. Yeah. And you know they started, uh, you know Roethlisberger started getting those chunk yards, and I'm just like, oh man, this is gonna this is gonna be horrible. And they pulled it out, and I was very excited. But the pessimism has come back. I'm like, I'm looking at the Chiefs, and there's part of me that's like, they you know they're pretty weak last month of the season. I'm kind of looking at it, like you got Hunt, Chubb. Baker, maybe, maybe we make this thing happen, but I don't know. That I think I think the Chiefs are going to turn it on. Um, and I, well, I, I think it'll be a good game. I don't, I don't I think, think you'll beat the Chiefs, but I think it'll be a good game. I really it'll be better game people think. Um, the, as long the, as the, I'll tell you this is a again diehard Vikings fan. Your coach is legit. Like I was last year. Uh, when I knew that he was going to get head coaching offers, like I was wanting the Vikings to trade Zimmer or, or fire him so they could keep Stefanski. Like I'm a huge fan of that guy. He's a little, yeah, he's I can a only imagine fan. what, cause it's a very similar formula, right? Like you, you got like cousins is good at times, but you got Dalvin cook, you got a good receiving core. You gotta have the yeah. right guys around him. Yeah. Yeah. And what Stefanski could do with that offense and with that team, if he'd stayed or if he'd oh, been yeah. I, th- I, th- I think that's, that's kind of a game changer. And and I see with the Browns, I mean, going from Freddie kitchens to Stefanski has been amazing. Um, Freddie, what the hell did Freddie Kitchens get that job for? That was a bad, I think that was a bad hire. He parlayed the Baker thing, and I think I think there were some Jeez. some bad reads in the front office when they did that. So Cyclones, where where your expectations? Where are you at? 20, 20 starters returning. I'm so excited. Uh, 20, I'm trying not yeah, to twenty guys from the two deep. So that's that's great. I'm trying not to be. My natural pessimism wants to take over, but. And it, early in the year, it was. I remember we were. Um, I how how can you be pessimistic about the Cyclones when you were just trying to like tell me that like America's going to be united again here for, before too? Well, long. that's true. <laughs> My pessimism only, only extends to sports, unfortunately. Uh, it needs to probably extend to America a little bit more, and I need to be more worried about all the craziness. And instead, I'm sitting here like, I don't know. Early in the season, they were pretty uneven, you know. Uh, so here's the thing about here's my thing about the Cyclones. Early in the season, I think. You've seen it, especially the last couple of years. They sometimes have this tendency to play up or down to their opponent, right? Mm-hmm. For, and they have a lot of exciting games because of it. Yeah, September is not kind to the clones. No, but the thing that has me excited about the Cyclones is that they got steadily better as the year went on. In the last month of the season, despite all the craziness and everything that's going on, they were playing some of the best ball in the country. Uh, even even the loss against Oklahoma, like that yeah, was played well. That was, yeah, they, yeah, that was played well. It was a bitter. It was kind of a, a bitter pill to swallow, especially the way that went down there at the end and kind of. You I know, wanted to cry. Yeah, but and then Oklahoma just goes and smokes Florida, and you and you, you kind of like reassess based on sort of that transitive theory of college football, right? Like, man, okay, we were that close against a really good Oklahoma team. 
how close are, are we actually? And then we go in and we, we take on a good Oregon team, uh, the Pac-12 winning Oregon team, um, and we dominate them um, yeah. in, the, in the Fiesta Bowl. And I, with again, with all the starters coming back, all the obvious talent on both sides of the line, uh, I think the sky's the limit for this team. I think the only thing they got to do is just remember what this part of the what this part of the season felt like, how they're playing, how they're just hitting on all cylinders. And I, I honestly, I mean, I think it's going to be wide open next year too. There's a lot of teams that are losing a lot of folks. Yeah. And especially that like three four spot, um, that's that's right. And and the Cyclones are going to be one of those teams in that they're. I've already seen some like early top twenty five. They're like you know seven seven to nine kind of range, like. Yeah, I, you know what I, I think too, Lewis. That um, I, I've reflected on. Did you during the pandemic at all? Well, I guess we're still in it. But did you watch that the Last Dance? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. You know, the one thing I feel like in sports we don't uh, we're so instant gratification anymore. It's like, oh, we, I I signed the my team signed this free agent. We need to win the championship. Or we got this recruit. We need to win the championship. And like what the Bulls in the last dance reminded me of is that doesn't happen very often. Usually there's a climb, you know, where you have to get over like steps. And I I just feel like, I don't know, like those guys losing the big 12 championship the way that they did, obviously that it, it motivated them greatly going into that Fiesta Bowl. And I just... You know, I've been uh, – we haven't been able to talk to them or anything, but I'm reading all their tweets, and just the amount of guys coming back who would have been drafted. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's Reese like – Hall. Like – Yeah, and I like mean, Kolar and like Purdy would have been drafted. All those guys would have made money next year, and they're all coming back, like, and they say that they have a point to prove, and it's, it's, it's kind of inspiring. I, I feel like they're – I feel like they'll be one of the most motivated teams in the in the sport, and they're very talented. I agree with that. Charlie, Charlie coming back surprised me in a good way because um, that was definitely the guy that was going to – I mean, he's, he's a prototypical NFL tight end for the way the NFL is run now. And no doubt, he, yeah. Yeah, he stood to make a lot of money and get that career started, and he came back. On, I mean, that's the sign of the, you know, the, the five-star culture thing, right, that, that quote and, and what Matt Campbell's doing. A sign those guys want to stick together is a great sign. I think just what you said – they have a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth. They know what losing feels like, but they also know what that what that big win feels like, and they know what it takes to get there. And I think, and they they felt both of those things, and I think that experience is going to be invaluable going into next year. Um, and I, like I said, I think the sky's the limit. I don't I don't want to be too crazy because you know college football playoff being that top four. That's I, but it's I, uncharted I that's waters. Cool. Yeah. It's like a no-fly zone. Put it in your world. Well, you're a freshman in 03. Like, I remember my first game coming to Iowa State. I remember it was a freshman orientation in 02. That was the Seneca was in against Florida oh. State. Ugh. Yeah. Horrible. But but Iowa State got to you like, got an, you, you got You got welcomed quickly. Oh, man. Yeah. It was like, oh, gut punch. Right okay, away. here we go. Let's start my life as an Iowa Stater. But Iowa State got the ninth that year, and it was – this wild ride and but it, what was interesting is we did that on the backs of Nebraska and no one realized that Nebraska was on a downturn mm-hmm. and we kept winning some games against teams that we were a good team and should have beat and other teams kept losing we kept rising up the ranks and it was almost by default that we were kind of rising up the ranks and then the fall came late in, late in the season right and then we kind of fell off a little bit 
And then that, that whole time at Iowa State, aside from my junior year, was pretty good. Like, we were always kind of in the hunt. But it was still, we were still kind of striving, striving and scraping to kind of get there. Like, I remember the, the ever-elusive Big 12 North. I remember when that was a um, – <laughs> God, I have a bad, I have a lot of bad memories about the Big Twelve North co championships and stuff. Yeah, it was in its own way that was kind of rough on its own. But I know, like compared to like the longer tenured Iowa State fans, like that was kind of a heyday. And, and another, yeah, you guys, you guys hit the hit the nail on the head in the previous podcast. But it was another kind of brick on the road to where we are now, right? Um, with Mac and and then and then later on Paul Rhodes and those guys. But this team seems like it's. It, they belong. No they're doubt. not not scrapping and striving to get there. They're not, you know, they're not pulling out trick plays or it's not a huge upset when they beat someone. It's because they were the better team, they're the better team for four quarters, and they know how to execute and they got the culture and they got all the resources they need because Jamie Pollard's a great AD. I remember remember Bruce Vandeveld. I know his name. Unfortunately, like year yes. to, yeah, year to year ADs like it's crazy. It's it, the, the whole athletic department's like really up in its game, but particularly in football. And I think we do belong. I mean, Completely <laughs> now, some disagreement amongst the national guys on how much we belong, how high we should have gotten, but you can't deny that Iowa state was playing some of the best ball of any college football team at the end of the year. And, and that, and that wasn't a fluke. No. It's, and you it's actually consistent. have the dudes. Like, that's the thing, like being around them, like the look of the team. Yep. It's like, okay, that it used to be like, Oh, we, we had like two guys who look like that. Now we have, 50. Yeah, it was always a okay, can this guy play four quarters because once we once we sub in it's, it's going to get Yeah. right? And, and now especially like Shit, the defensive they were, line. They were playing like nine guys on the defensive line in a three-man front for the majority of the year. It's crazy. crazy. And and they have that plus a linebacking core. That's yeah. also usually it's kind of one or the other, right? You got Mike Rose back there and a bunch of other linebackers that are just are are, are crazy good and talented and and multi and they and they you know, they do the little things right, and that's part of the Matt Campbell effect in the culture. It's like they tackle. Like, they're not always, you know, sacking the quarterback 12 times a game or anything like that, but they execute well. They're in the place they need to be. They tackle when they tackle, and they wait for the other team to make a mistake, and then they're there to take advantage. And you couldn't always say that about Iowa State teams. Um, and so that's why I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I think it's – I think, like I said, the sky's the limit for this team next year when they come back. And uh, I'm trying – not to get too far ahead of my skis. Yeah, don't. You know, one thing I would I would caution is if there is is the, there is a pessimist in me is, you know, there is that sometimes we play up or down kind of to whoever's whoever's lined up against us. Uh, this is the year yeah. we learn not to do that. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that late yeah. late year experience this year really helps us with that and, and the Matt Campbell thing. And I I can't say enough about Matt Campbell. That's he's the best. Such a home run here. Yeah. I, I and I'm, I'm and I'm. I'm glad he's building something in Ames too. Um, I hope it lasts. I, when when you know, is the last time you've been back? It's been a while, especially with the pandemic, but I came back a couple years ago. Um, Jen and I were going, my, Jen's my wife. Um, we were going back to visit some of her folks and we were kind of driving through and we flew in, got wrong car into that. And we uh, went to Hilton for a Kansas game. She got the Kansas tickets and that's the one I knew she was the one. Oh, there you go. Really, well, I mean, I already knew, but <laughs> usually once a year, that was a good sign. usually once a year, um, you know, Ryan Hansen and Tim Jansen and Bloom and me and McIntyre will get together and go out and have beers. And then usually they all just stay at my house They and then we drive up and go to a game. So next time that's yeah, on the dock, we're going to, we're going to hit you up. Absolutely. 
appreciate your time, man. I, I mean it. I really respect you, look up to you, and uh, thank you for serving our country and everything that you've done. And um, I might I might call on you again. I think there's a lot of interesting topics. I want to keep doing this. This is important to me to do something that just gives my mind a release other than, you know, the third string middle linebacker at Iowa State. And people seem to like it, so I want to keep doing it, and I appreciate it. You've been, tell uh, you what. You've been really good. Yeah, man, I miss these talks. I, I remember, you know, doing the backstage ICU TV thing and hanging out with side classes. Like, those are great times, and this felt just like that. So I'm, I'm yeah. always here if you need me. And honestly, it's just good to talk some good Iowans again. Um, living out here in Virginia, it's a little bit different on the East Coast. And uh, I, there's yeah. one thing I miss about, you know, Midwest stuff. It's it's the people and and uh, and getting and getting to kind of hang out in that way. And uh, hopefully I didn't tick too many people off. Hopefully you won't get too much hate mail. You won't. Uh, but, uh, but just for everyone out there, know that I come by my feelings and my thoughts honestly. I'm, if anyone wants to contact me i have a very unique name um <laughs> i can find me and uh, i'm always willing to talk and willing to engage with folks um and hopefully and, and, and be respectful and everything else because i think that's what's going to ultimately bring bring us out of this thing i couldn't a little bit. all americans at the end of the day yeah. hopefully we'll all agree with the constitution hopefully we'll all agree with our elections and and honestly like once we remember that you know what makes this country great is the fact that we you know, the, the answer to our problems has always been to talk to one another and to campaign and to try to get our ideas out there more than storming, grabbing a gun, getting violent, all that kind of stuff. Um, and again, not to say that that isn't a problem kind of, you know, a little bit everywhere, but it's certainly much more of a problem on one side right now. Um, like, that's what makes our country great, that people go for those ideas and, and, and talking rather than, than getting violent and getting crazy. And I hope we, I hope we get back to that. I, I think we will. I think it's going to take a little while. I think it's going to take some reform. I think it's going to take a lot of smart people getting together and, and solving problems at a lot of levels, but hopefully this will be a little bit part of it. Lewis, you are a true patriot. You're, you're more optimistic about this, uh, the tribalism talk and all that, than you are uh, your football teams. I love it. Yeah, well, as long as we can get back to being respectful on politics and then attacking the Hawkeyes yeah. on Twitter. And then we just, just crush each other with the sports. That's how it should be. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem.